As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Hey there, you're listening to Service and Practice, where we dive into the practical elements of service in the Orthodox Church in the 21st century. Every other week, you'll hear from a guest that has a particular passion or talent within service. I'm your host, Karen, and thanks for joining. Hey, everyone. I'm really glad to be back and kicking off the second season of the podcast today. If you're joining for the first time, welcome. Be sure to tune into the trailer to listen to the story of how service and practice came to be. And now to introduce today's episode, I'll be chatting with Evram Davoud on how service is part of our Christian identity. Hey, Evram, how's it going? Good, Karen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I've heard Evram talk and had the blessing of hearing him talk at several events and conventions. He is very passionate about his service. He's a member of the congregation at St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church in Cedar Grove, also known as the Archdiocese, where he leads the pre-servants group. But before that, he's been around the world, literally. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I only started coming to the Makar maybe like late middle school, early early high school, if memory serves me correctly. Before then, uh, I think like a lot of families in the area kind of church hopped. Uh, mm-hmm. Went to St. Mark's Westside for a long time. So I went to Bergen, um, Bayonne 1, Bayonne 2, Belleville, East Rutherford, where I still go to confess. Um, lived in Virginia for a little bit. Then after college, I attended grad school in the Bay Area, so I served there for a number of years. After that, lived overseas in Southeast Asia for, for a little while, and then came back, kind of bounced around between the East Coast and the West Coast. Eventually settled back into, you know, lovely New Jersey, and um, came back to my service here at the Makar, uh, where, as you mentioned, I co-lead uh, the pre-servants class here with uh, an amazing servant named Andrew Abdu, um, who himself is another transplant to the Makar. Um, yeah, <laughs> been around the world and back, but definitely a lot more of the world to see. So hopefully when this pandemic lifts, we can have the conversation without masks, number one, in person. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can, you know, get back to traveling. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that, God willing. Inshallah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting that you've been all around the world, and I'm sure that's informed your perspectives on many things, service being one of them. I mean, yeah, it's it's been really interesting seeing how the... Uh, how the sausage is made, so to speak, or how the cookie crumbles um, in different parts of the Coptic community, in different parts of, of the country, different parts of the world. Um, noticing the differences, noticing the similarities, trying to, to glean from every place what's best in terms of, of, of their practices and, and, and their, their approaches. And trying to apply that here has been something that's been you know, really helpful in terms of trying to give the people that we serve here at the Makar and in the area in general, just as as much as we can in the best way that we can. Wow, that's very interesting. And it makes me think of how you, you've you seen a lot of the world, you've served and been part of many different cultural groups, different de- demographics, and that kind of leads into our discussion today about identity and that there's so many different ways we can proclaim our identity or that society identifies. And the common thread that I'm sure you found was, you know, when you were across the country or even abroad, like overseas, you were in other groups of Christians. And that was kind of that thread that united you with them in terms of identity. Yes, I found 
at least in, in my own life, in my own experiences, that wherever I was, the, the easiest way for me to, to join a community and, and also to, to give myself to that community um, has been to serve, has been just to get involved, you know, roll up your sleeves and figure out where the needs are. Whether that be in, in you know, a traditional quote unquote service context, even though I think we'll probably end up talking about how I'm not a huge fan of that term servant versus non-servant. I, I, I really like the idea of thinking of our, ourselves as Christians, like and, mm-hmm. and service being a, a necessary and, and contingent part of, of our Christianity. But jumping into either if it's a traditional Sunday school service or if it's like an outreach ministry, if it's a um, just dealing with people who like don't want to come to church and, you know, seeing what kind of music they listen to and then, you know, trying to see if, you know, maybe you can make some inroads by relating to them in some way, whether they, they like old school 90s hip hop and R&B, whether listen to Tupac or Lana Del Rey or whatever, um, just trying to make connections with people. So I found that's, that's been the best way for me to both acclimatized to a new area, whether it was the Bay Area, whether it was Myanmar, whether it was Virginia, wherever. And also the best way to just start, you know, finding my salvation in that place. I'm intrigued by what you said, finding your salvation. Can you talk a little bit about how service is related to that? It's it's revealing insofar as that it kind of hints at, at my my idea of service in general, which is if I am truly living a Christ-like life, if I'm truly trying to, you know, in the words of Thomas Kempis, who wrote that book, Imitation of Christ, if I'm truly trying to imitate Christ in my life, well, the Son of Man came to, to serve and not to be served, like it says in the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospels of Mark, right? Like, it's it's something that I, I have to do. It's contingent upon me. Like, in, um, I think it's Ages of the Spiritual Life by this author named Paul of Dokimov. He has this, this line that it's just striking in his beauty. He says... The pure of heart see God, and by them God allows himself to be seen. And I think that's, you know, taking from the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And by our, our Christ-likeness, by our, our walking and picking up the, the breadcrumbs of good works, like it, it says in the book of Ephesians, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we might walk in them. That's how I, I try to approach my my own my own life, my own walk, my own trying to seek out your own salvation, work out your own salvation. Like, what's the next breadcrumb? What's the next piece of the puzzle? What's the, whose feet are the next that I can wash? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, I, I try hard to both be sincere in the moment and, and listen to the other person and, and you know, offer a sacrifice of time and energy and and life on the altar of the other person's heart, but also be very mindful, like, I'm seeking after him. I'm seeking after Christ. As much as I love the other person, it's only motivated by my seeking after the source of that love in him that I'm able to serve at all. And would you say that service is a necessary component for being a Christian, or in other words, we can't be truly Christ-like without being servants? I'm nail on the head, yeah. Like, ding, ding, ding. That's that's, that's <laughs> it. That That's everything. Like, that's... I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine when I was in college and she was talking about like a very difficult time in her life and how the, the servants, the, the official, you know, the knighted servants in her <laughs> church were just not very helpful and not very uh, comforting and not very Christ-like, I would say. I think a lot of people share that notion of hypocrisy 
amongst the the official servants in the church. And listen, we're not here to cast you know aspersions or cast uh, doubts or or, or or proclamations of hypocrisy. But I think it, it hurts when you expect love and sincerity and and comfort from those who touted so so vehemently and then what you get in return is is you know not that to put it uh, to put it simply that's why i think that it's it's so much more beautiful and so much more um efficacious if you just think about it in terms of i am a christian i must follow christ i will serve whoever is in my line to serve whoever's next that's why it's best always like i think the the greatest you know priests the greatest uh, servants you can tell that they're they're incredible, not from like even the people they serve in the church, like from their own household. Like their their kids love them. They they they're so sincere with, in relationship with their with their spouses. They have a great relationship with their their brothers and their sisters and their parents. They're always trying to make peace at home first, and then that peace and that that endeavor blooms out into their service in the church as well, to their extended family as the body of Christ. So yeah, I, I don't think it's possible to be a Christian and and not serve. Um, like imitate me just as I also imitate Christ to St. Paul. Uh, St. Paul, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are really wise words spoken by St. Paul. And to your point about the very successful, very spiritual servants or, or priests or leaders, it being evident in the family and in the people that are close to them, reminds me of this idea that service is not like a light switch. You're not a servant um, when you're in Sunday school or in a specific day in a specific place. It's not It's not something that's on and off, but rather it's a mindset and a lifestyle and thus should pervade into, you know, all our relationships. 100%. 100%. And it, com- and it comes, it stems from the, that very same place of, like, I thirst for the lover of my soul. I, I thirst to see Christ prevalent in, in every facet of my life, in every single arena every single nook and cranny like i want him to to pervade it all and so if i'm not seeking him in my family how can i then seek him in my family who who i'm closest to who i see daily right how can i then seek him in, in the face of like you know an annoying sunday school kid who <laughs> just like runs away every time it's time for class or how can i see him in like the you know the the friend who just had like a, a stillborn baby or a miscarriage like how how can i it's not enough to, to love in the extreme circumstances. It's Love is, is bred in the small things, I feel. Like the ability to love is, starts off in, in the small day-to-day activities. It's, it's very much like what Christ says to the, the stewards, right? Like, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll make you rule over much. And I think about that a lot in terms of the, the character of the Christian can be seen in his or her interactions in the small first before the large, before like the major surface things where everybody's like on a, on a pedestal and your, and your actions are seen by many. That's an interesting insight. Um, can you share us, with us an example of one of those small things, maybe in your life or something that you've seen in the life of another servant that has seemed small at the outset, but been able to make such a big difference in the big picture? I mean, in my life, cooking a Thanksgiving dinner with, uh, with all your siblings in the house and, and <laughs> trying not to, you know, you know, take the knife in your hand and make some strategic slashes on the person's <laughs> arm, <laughs> that, that can prove a little difficult at times. So we talked a little bit about how service is important to our identity as Christians and that it's not just a title or a state of being that you can kind of switch in and out of. But in terms of maintaining that identity and ensuring that it can, we can grow spiritually and in our service, how do you recommend we, you know, we work on that? 
That's a fantastic question that hits upon the, the, the real notion of, you know, how is it that we, we maintain our identity when all around us it seems like the, the rock that should be our identity is constantly trying to be eroded by the waves of society, eroded by the waves of, of selfish desire or, or whatever. Just, you know, you know, thermodynamics, everything goes to entropy, everything goes mm-hmm. to chaos. How is it that we can maintain ourselves? How is it that we can reorient ourselves daily? And this is why I think that, you know, thinking about service, not as, um, not as, uh, as like a, a quote unquote official servant in, a, in any kind of church capacity, but thinking of, of our service as like picking up the breadcrumbs of good works, following where Christ is leading me in my life, right? So this, the answer, I think, relates itself very naturally to the answer to a similar question of, you know, how do I maintain my spiritual life? Like, how is it that I, I maintain the fire? How is it that I can, I can keep up the zeal? I think having like a, a spiritual canon that you work on with your, your father confession is super important, but particularly with regards to service, I think the f- primary thing is that I figure it was a, a Buddha Shaykhama, a Buddha Tadras Malati was, was saying that the most, the most effective servant is the repentant servant. And so I think that's, that's huge. No matter how many kids you can bring into a youth program or how many adults you can come for, you can bring to come to like a parenting seminar or whatever, you know, insert your service here. The numbers don't guarantee efficacy. Your repentance might though, but your own personal sincerity um, and the origins of that word are really, really beautiful. I feel like sincere as the root of sincerity, like without wax, I think the Latin translation. It's like when a marble statue would get dented by something or broken by something, they would fill it up with wax. But to be sincere means like you, what you see is what you get. It's a hundred percent what it is. So I think sincerity in our spiritual lives, truly repenting in our spiritual lives. And then from that, keeping the fire alive means like we have to consecrate a time to edify ourselves. We have to, you know, think about it more as like a daily necessity than, than a, a nice to have. Like it has to be a need to have. Having a time where I, I eat, I drink spiritually is super important. And obviously like, Everybody who knows me will know that I'll suggest, like, you should probably be reading something. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a thousand and one amazing, amazing works out there. And if, listen, if you're not the type that wants to read, then, yo, there's so many good podcasts out there. From Coptic sources, like this one, for instance. <laughs> from Coptic Thanks, sources. Um, non-Coptic sources, other Orthodox sources. Uh, and I think that they're fantastic. Even Catholic sources. Like, somebody that I discovered uh, about a year or two ago was this uh, bishop in the Catholic Church named Bishop Robert Barron. Fantastic sermons. And like, obviously, you know, if you have any questions, consult your father confession or your servant or somebody who's theologically minded to see if there's, you know, discrepancy in anything. But constantly surrounding yourself with the truth of Christ is important just to reorient, you know, because it's so easy to get eroded by, you know, the affairs of this world, so to speak, whether it be work or family or stressors of life. There's a a bunch of things that will try to dampen that fire, but it's important for us to have a, a daily practice of the presence of God, so to speak, to quote Brother Lawrence in his famous book. Yeah, there really are so many resources out there and the need to fill ourselves before we can fill or give back to others, I think is so critical. We chatted a little bit uh, before we turned on the the microphone about this um, example that we would see in some retreats by uh, Emma Thomas with the the water jug, if you want to reminisce on that. Yeah, so Emma Thomas has this amazing ability to take really complex topics. I really envy because I do not do a good job of it myself take these really complex topics and give these beautiful analogies to help you understand it. So I remember, I think I was in high school and went to like ECCYC high school boys and he had this analogy of 
what really could be summed up in, in the word kenosis is the self-emptying of Christ and how we ref- reflect that kenosis in our own lives. His analogy was you take like a cup and you, uh, you pour it out, you fill it up with water and you pour it out. And he says, well, the amount of, of water you can pour out into whoever or whatever else is limited by how much you know, your volume is in your personal little cup. But take that cup and put it in a large pitcher of water and you see two things. The amount of water that can be poured out into the, the receptacle, so to speak, is much larger. But also, you're not being emptied. You're, you're being, you are, you are and you aren't. That's the beauty of it. Like, you're being emptied and you're being filled at the same time. This, like, kenotic expression of, of sacrifice and love where I am, as St. Paul says, pouring myself out as a drink offering. And yet, at the same time, I'm being filled by, by Christ's infinite volume. And I love that analogy. Put the pitcher, put the, your cup in the, the infinite pitcher of Christ's love, so to speak. And therefore, constantly, be pouring out and filled, which is the difference, I think, between, you know, a, a Christian service versus, like, you know, I, I worked a, a decent amount in, like, the humanitarian international development sphere. And the people who stay in that world, a lot of the time, one of the dangers they tell you is, like, you know, don't, don't espouse, like, a God complex, you know, don't have, like, a crazy ego complex because you're not the savior of these problems. You're just trying exactly. to help in your small way, right? And... Eventually, if you do have that ego complex, you won't be you won't be affecting the change you think you will because you'll burn out like, quick, much quicker than you think you will. And so, our perspective as Christians versus the humanitarian perspective is that we're not giving of ourselves. You know, we we offer back unto you what is yours. We say in the liturgy, like this is yeah. this is all yours. Any good I do is not me. It's Him working through me in this you know self emptying, but also being filled by Him. But again, all that verbiage just for embotomismus is a much better. Like, think of the analogy of the water. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, thank you for painting that picture for us. Um, I still also remember it uh, in in my mind, like as if it was yesterday. And I think he's been using that uh, that visual for quite many years. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. Like, don't don't fix it uh, if it ain't broken. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's also true of the difference, by the way, between like uh, we talk about the, the the difference between being a humanitarian versus being a Christian. Well, I think there's also like a difference in like the the evangelism between a Christian and a, an Orthodox Christian and like maybe other sects of Christianity. Where like I've had really good friends of other or sects of Christianity who you know I lived with when I was overseas. They were like missionaries in in this Asian country called Myanmar, and them not so much but like other friends of theirs had this perspective of you know evangelism like i will love you they would say in order to save you whereas i think the the apostolic way of thinking about things was i i saved you so to speak insofar as anybody saves anybody's really christ that 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 works at all in all but the orthodox way i think would be i i I save you because i love you you know it's a it's a nuanced inversion but it's not like, you know, I use love as a tool in order to accomplish this goal of saving you. But no, no, no. My reaching out to you, my, my, you know, in Arabic, my iftiqad, my, my, um, continual asking about like a, a, you know, a highbrow kid who's super annoying in Sunday school class, my reaching out to that individual is not so I can bring him back to Sunday school or bring her back to Sunday school or, you know, show Abuna that we have these numbers of people who came back to church. No, 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 no. I'm reaching out not to do anything, but just as it's a natural expression of my love for them. 
And I love them because I know Christ has loved me, forgiven me. And therefore, I know how much he loves them and has forgiven them. And so it's a natural outpouring. The action follows this internal spiritual state rather than using that internal spiritual state as a as a tool, so to speak, to affect an outcome, you know? Yeah, that's a really, like you said, nuanced but important distinction to make, um, especially when talking about our identity in service and as servants. I think I also wanted to explore a little bit with you this topic of how identity has become rather controversial today in the 21st century. There's so many different ways people will define it for themselves, be that race, uh, gender, just to name a few, you know, that so many other ways as well that society or people will kind of self-proclaim. And I want to see what what are your thoughts on how service fits into this picture? You know, how, how can we continue to serve not just our churches, but the world around us when the idea of identity is sometimes under attack? I mean, Karen, that's a, that's a, a really, really good question. And I think, especially poignant nowadays, I was attending a talk by um, Father John Bear, who, who I think this was one of his last talks at Fordham before the pandemic, obviously, <laughs> and uh, before he moved to, I think he's back in Scotland now. And he was talking about the impacts of the culture, if I remember correctly, the impacts of the culture and the, the status of the culture upon theological development, you know, there's like, and the church in general. And it came, I came up to him after the talk, and I said, how, how afraid are you, Father, about, you know, the increasing rift in this country, this increasing polarization, this increasing, you know, tribalism, my side versus the world, the other side is, is you know, not just wrong or misguided, but, you know, demonic and, like, totally, totally insane. And he said... It scares me to death. <laughs> wow. It scares, scares him. Yeah, yeah. How do you think I should feel? How do you think I should feel? <laughs> and I think I was reflecting on that um, a bit afterwards and, and a little bit recently given, you know, given the, the, the status of this country now post-election and, and whatnot. I think one of the greatest dangers we can fall into as, as Christians and as Orthodox Christians nowadays is to how do I phrase it, fall into the roles that society would have us fall into, fall into the, the, I would call them traps of tribalism. If our identity is rooted in anything else primarily than being the body of Christ, being the church, being his bride, then I can never fulfill my destiny of, of being conformed to the image of Christ, like it says in scripture, right? Like our, our destiny as Christians, our destiny as human beings, and the reason we are created is to know God. Like in, in John 17, like this, his, his final prayer before he, he gives himself up unto death, right? His last prayer to the Father in the presence of, of his disciples is, you know, this is eternal life that they may know you and know your, your son whom you have sent, right? If that's our, our destiny, and yet we're more occupied with Republican this, Democrat that, sexual orientation this, sexual orientation that. Um, this is a this is a mistake. This is a trap. This is a danger. You know, the bride of Christ must 
forever take on the face of her spouse, so to speak. Like we must always forever be trying to shine forth to the best of our abilities through uh, our repentance, through our life in the liturgical calendar of the church, through our, our, our scriptural reading and meditation and memorization, through ultimately the, the liturgy and the Eucharist. We must always be trying to shine forth Christ brighter and brighter. Like, and this is like clear in so many of our rituals and rites, right? Like in, in the altar, for instance, in the liturgy, the bosom of the Father representing the Father in the back, the that curved part behind the altar. The Father only ever sees us, the congregation, outside through Christ slain upon the altar, right? And also like when we confess, when the priest puts the, the cross upon our heads, the Father in his kingdom in heaven only ever sees me in my sinfulness and, and wretchedness through the cross of his son. And so if you flip it, the inverse must be just as true. People who I encounter on the street, well, my prayer should be like, Lord, let them not see me just in my faults and my wickedness and, and my selfishness and ego. Help them see whatever I have allowed for you to be in me, you know? As much as of a sacred space that I've carved in my own heart for you to occupy, for you to come and dine and, and make your residence with me, as it says in the book of Revelations, right? Well, as much space as I've given you, let that shine forth. Let that be the focus. Let that come forth. But if all they see is my political orientation or my my speaking just like the world around me, your Facebook posts. <laughs> your Facebook posts. If we look like everybody else around us, if we are talking and using the language of everybody else around us, that's, this is not going to work. That, that's, not, that's not Christ. That's the world. And mm -hmm. I, I, I fear that it's so easy to do that. So it's like asking the question is important. Talking about it is important because like awareness is the first step to to changing our minds, so to speak, to, to matanya, to repentance. I think what you said was really important about not focusing on identity with, you know, the political or racial or, you know, any of these other type types of dividers is important and seeing people as Christ would see them because Christ looked beyond the labels, you know, he gives the he shows this and he gives examples. He talks about the Good Samaritan, you know, wants to paint uh, a picture of love that's going beyond, you know, the the boundaries of different geographical regions. And I think that's so important in today's world, which is, you know, ever polarized. Yeah. And that's what separates the Christian from, from at least what should separate the Christian from every everybody else in society. Um, like I mentioned to you before, the, there's this like amazing letter in, in the early church. I forget what century. Uh, might be surprised if it was after the fifth. I think it's either in the third or the fourth. It's called the, the epistle, the letter to Diognetus. And, and in it, this, um, this Christian is writing to this non-Christian explaining Christianity to them and how it differs from Judaism and, and, and differs from like pagan worship. And he has these amazing lines about how like, the Christian is not different than, than anybody else in their own country. Like to quote parts of like, Quote, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. 
They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. And it just goes on about how the Christian is not different by any outward measure of difference. The Christian is, is he later writes, to sum it up, the Christian is to the world but the solace of the body. We are the ones who are supposed to vivify. We are the ones who are supposed to direct. We are the ones who are supposed to address the, the deep needs that may go unseen mm. below the surface. And that all stems from following Christ. I like the part that you mentioned when, when reading about how we are citizens of heaven. And I think that goes back to the idea of the identity our identity is first and foremost being Christian and not, you know, any other measure or way to identify ourselves that the world may do. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that passage and, and thank you for being here and sharing your insight on identity and what that means for us as Christians and as servants. No, of course, it's my pleasure. Sorry for uh, for rambling as I often do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. It was really great to have you and, and to hear from you. For anyone who's interested, I've linked the books and passages that Evram mentioned today in the show notes, so feel free to check those out. Today, Evram talked to us about our identity as Christians in service and how important it is to be filled by Christ, and that that is the requirement for successful service, as well as sharing his experience about serving different communities and how service was the common thread through them all. So thank you so much for joining, and stay tuned for the next episode of Service and Practice. <laughs>